It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. This Lockdown Podcast is brought to you by Home Chef. Now that the novelty of the new year has dwindled down, how are your resolutions coming? One of mine was to order less, take out, cook more at home. But I'll be honest, I haven't been consistent. That is until I found Home Chef. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify the cooking experience and without robbing you of the joy of putting a dish together yourself. I'm Pescatarian, and they cater to a variety of dietary needs. I had this super refreshing ginger sesame salmon, a beautiful trout dish, and a super comforting shrimp and vegetable orzo dish, all of which took me less than 30 minutes to put together. For a limited time right now, Home Chef is offering all of our listeners 18 free meals, plus free shipping on your first box, and Free dessert for life at homechef.com slash locked on. That's homechef.com slash locked on for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. Homechef.com slash locked on must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. Hello, welcome to Locked On Suns, part of Locked On Podcast Network. Today's your host, Evan Setter, and join my host, Brendan Clean. You can follow me on Twitter at East Setter. You can follow Brendan on Twitter at BrendanClean14. Also, thanks for all Locked On Suns Twitter page if you're not already at Locked On PHX Suns. Your supporter there is very much appreciated. And we're joining you guys for our usual Monday through Friday episodes. And today is our Monday episode. And we're joining you guys after the Sunday Suns game. We're going to quickly go into that before we go into our mailbag. Appreciate all the questions we got. It looks like we got almost around 10 or so questions. So we're going to hit on almost all those today. Looking forward to that. But um, before we get into that, Bruno, I just wanted to hit on the game from yesterday with the Suns. Another loss for them. And it's an interesting fact. I spent way too much time just wasting my time in um, basketball reference pregame. And this is the first Suns team since the inaugural season 50 years ago. They have not had 10 wins at the halfway mark of the season. They are now 9-32 and 32 after the loss to the Hornets. What's your thoughts on that game? Wow, that's a surprising number to hear. Uh, does Definitely does put into perspective. I mean, not only to hear that it hasn't happened in their whole history, but especially to keep referencing just at this point, knowing what we know, their schedule's been tougher, but uh, there's very, I mean, you get to that level of poor play and a that that bad of a record, really, and it's tough to make any sort of excuse about the record or anything. We know this team has been significantly worse than we expected, and uh, especially lately, really unable to put much of anything together to kind of get out of that funk. We thought they were there at the end of December and it's pretty clear they aren't right now. So not, not an exciting performance from them on Sunday to say the least, but I think the big news we should hit is just Devin Booker's uh, back spasms that he went out in the second quarter, didn't return to the game. And from all we know now on Monday night here around nine 30 is he's questionable for tomorrow and probably will be a, game time decision from what it sort of sounds like and obviously that is going to impact quite a bit of how this team plays they've been struggling with Booker back in the lineup for the this entire homestand now 0-6 on it and 
clearly without him, they really don't stand a chance against even decent teams, and the Kings have been pretty good this year. Yeah, that's what's kind of worrisome with Booker now. It's not the hamstring, but it's the back. And if we're really backtracking a week or so, Brendan, he hurt his lower back a, a week ago against the Nuggets. What does that say about continuing it just on the surface? You want to know if this is true or not, but I mean, connecting the dots, it really seems like he's once again playing through injury. Why don't the Sun just sit him down? Like, even if he's a game time decision, I, don't, I just don't see why at this point, with how, Booker's already missed 10 games at the halfway point. He's on pace to miss if he gets another more a couple more nicks and knacks here and there. He's going to miss 20 games again this season. I don't see why you don't just sit him for tomorrow's game and then also the back-to-back against Dallas because this guy's obviously not 100%. You need this guy to be 100% if you actually want to win games in the second half of the season. Yeah, I mean, it's a tough thing. I mean, it sort of seems like this injury to me, if it is a repercussion or a symptom of the fall he took against Denver doesn't seem like that's necessarily a cause for concern where you need to be overly cautious with this specific injury. But I definitely hear your point loud and clear about the idea of um, being as cautious as possible. And when you put it out there that, you know, they're nine and 32 aren't even at 10 wins yet, looking at a, another top four finish in the lottery, um, it doesn't necessarily make much sense to force the issue with him. And I I think we definitely could see that tomorrow is just being more cautious. Now sitting here 41 games into the year, the playoffs are clearly not on the horizon for this team. And so the health of the, the best player, the health of their star player becomes a massive priority, especially looking at 2018 as a calendar year between the end of the prior season and the beginning of this one just how much those little injuries here and there have mounted into kind of a, a guy who looks to be somewhat of a, of an injury risk at this point in his career. Solving that problem is obviously one of the most important things going forward. And I agree with you that the more hesitant and precautious they can be, the better. Yeah, I'm totally there with you. And let's, I guess, dive into our mailbag. Appreciate you guys, as always, answering our question. I think it's our third mailbag of the season so far. And I guess we'll just go back and forth here, Brian, and I'll toss it your way first, and I'll answer after you. And there's an interesting question here from Trevor Goodison. Apologies if that's the wrong pronunciation of your last name. Goodison, Goddison, at TrevyG82. And he says, what would you consider the maximum price to re-sign Kelly Oubre? And I mentioned this, I believe, a week or two ago on the podcast. I'm really comfortable at four million, four years, $60 million, $15 million a year, but like we talked about before, I think there's going to be a lot of teams with salary cap space, a lot of salary cap space at that. And with a guy with a seven foot three wingspan, energetic six foot seven, six foot eight wing, you can shoot the three, ideal three and D skill set. He might get at least 15 to $18 million a year. And I don't know if the Suns, even if it's a tradable contract, should be willing to roll the dice, but it gets really too pricey and a bit more, so to say. Yeah, it's, it's going to be a pretty big decision, I think, for whichever team wants to sign him to an offer sheet because those typically kind of have to go high. So I think that's the one reason why I think it could get a lot higher than, than we think right now. Uh, I've been, I don't know about worried. Like, I don't know if Kelly Oubre is a must have player for this team going forward, but clearly he's been a a nice spark fits well with what they want to do is young, like the rest of the franchise in a way, obviously Trevor Booker didn't really fit from a timeline perspective. So you know, I, I, I do wonder, though, and kind of worry for the Suns' sake that he might get a little bit more pricey than we think. I mean, 
looking through some of the contracts, I know a lot of them were signed in the summer of 2016, which makes it a little tough to measure just because that, that entire summer resulted in a lot of nasty contracts. But I mean, the Suns have a guy on this team, Ryan Anderson. I mean, he had a skill that was really coveted around the league and that resulted in him being overpaid. Even Tobias Harris, who didn't have a, you know, he's really broken out during this contract and he's in a contract year right now himself, but he, he's, he's making $16 million a year. So, you know, I think probably around there, I think 20 would be just, Clear cut, no way, but anything below that wouldn't necessarily surprise me. I think it probably tops out around 16 or so, though. Um, and I think, you know, 16, I probably would pull the trigger from the Suns. Yeah, it seems like we're right there next to each other, 15, 16 million. And what do you think so far about Kelly Uber? Because since he's arrived, I just think that outside of the consistency with TJ Warren, I mean, the last few games has been pretty bad, but. Outside of TJ, I think he's been their best wing since he joined the team, and he's slowly but surely becoming a guy who's a valuable role player on this team. And we touched on this, I believe, off the air before, Brendan, but Kelly Uber might be a guy who wants to be a starter, and maybe you think about it and you want to pay $15, 16000000 million to a guy who might only be getting 25 minutes per game. Do you think that's a smart investment? I don't think so. Probably not, but at the same time, you know, Having the rest of this season, I think that's an important question, just not only between Ubre and, you know, whoever else would be starting, but just all of these wings in general between Mikael Bridges, TJ Warren, Josh Jackson, Ubre, um, you know, even some of the other guys, you kind of think about D'Anthony Melton sort of in that same class as a three and D type of, of bigger guard. He, he could even be clumped in there. Just who you want in that, in those spots moving forward as you, hopefully eventually try to compete for a playoff spot next to, you know, with Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton kind of leading there, who do you want around him? And if Ubre is one of the guys they want, then, you know, I think you could easily find a way for him to get more minutes by getting rid of one of those other guys. But clearly he's been an incredible fit here. And I think, you know, at time, I mean, most of the time during his stay here has looked the best or second best of those group of players, but um, we'll probably move on. I'll, I'll go to a question here in the same kind of topic area. Probably just do a couple questions per segment and then maybe rapid fire at the end. But this one is from Jay at Jumpman452. Um, something we've been talking about a little bit on the pod already, but it's would you consider trading TJ? I know he's probably our second player, but he should have some value says Jay. Uh, what do you think? I mean, I think we both would clear. I mean, I don't think either one of us thinks TJ Warren's untouchable, but what kind of package would it take for you to move on from him? If you're the Suns? Okay. I'm not going to say he's a similar player to him. Cause I think he's on a different level for sure. But I think TJ Warren's contract, his value, I mean, he's a 20 point per game score who could, if this isn't a fluke year, which I don't think it is, it's three-point shoot. He's going to be a, a guy who could shoot 40% for the next four or five years on a really cheap contract. I think that's kind of like Robert Covington value in a deal. I think he could, I think he's the guy you kind of use this summer if you're really looking for a star point guard, so to say. You use TJ plus your first-round pick, and I, I think that's what they're kind of thinking there. Because I think TJ, like if we're talking about just value, I think like guys like Darren Collison, Corey Joseph, I think that's too little for a guy like TJ, especially on his contract. I think – if they ever move TJ, I think it's going to be before a, a, like a bigger fish, bigger name, like a Conley or a, someone like that. 
Yeah, it's super interesting to judge his value. I think he he probably makes the most sense on good teams, which is always the, the toughest kind of deal to do just because good teams, as we're kind of seeing, I think, with Boston this year and the Terry Rozier rumors that really w- won't go away probably until July with the Suns, the, the, the Celtics are, are not in a position to get rid of their players. They want to win a championship, and that's kind of what ends up being tough. I think, obviously, then it makes the summer – the most likely time for a, a Warren trade to happen if it were going to happen. But I think, you know, as a sixth man, seventh man on a good team, on a playoff team, he could be really effective on a cheap salary like he's on. So, you know, if if there is a team that kind of wants to move off of one of their guys at a position, at, the, at a guard position, he could kind of reshuffle the deck. But, you know, there's not an obvious target that stands out. I think you're right in saying he probably ends up being a salary filler not not that he doesn't have value, but kind of a guy that you stack on top of some other pieces in a bigger deal when and if the Suns choose to do that. Because I don't know, like you're kind of going through, Darren Collison, some of the guys we've talked about at point guard aren't really a like-for-like like swap like you would hope uh, with Warren to just kind of try to do it straight up. So um, it, it definitely makes it interesting, but it is nice always to have a piece like that, somebody who is coveted for good teams and who makes enough money that he can be a pretty good trade chip in that same way. So I do think we'll start to hear more and more about Warren on the trade block as we get closer to July and on through the rest of the summer. I do wonder if TJ is on the block in February though, because it's this team, I'm going to have a call on this later this week on Brightside. I feel like the lack of inactivity by James Jones is really starting to stagnate the progress that this team had a couple weeks ago. I know the schedule has gotten a lot harder, but it's really obvious in these games over the past few games that this team just desperately needs a playmaking point guard and someone who knows how to feed DeAndre and when he gets going. And a Devin Booker, he's shooting 42% off catch shoot threes this season, shooting like less than 30% off of pull-up threes. The point book role kind of hampers his shooting ability, especially his three-point shooting percentage. I just feel like this team needs to do some action. I feel like maybe to spice things up and like, like lively up the locker, you make a big deal at the deadline and maybe use TJ. What do you think? Sure. I mean, if you find something that makes sense, I'm, I'm obviously, I think his, his value is higher now than it maybe ever will be because there's still that, that shine of him improving his three point strokes so drastically. And I don't think his, his weaknesses and inefficiencies have kind of come to bear yet in a big way because he's not really hurting the Suns that much. There's, there's so little talent around him. You can't peg their struggles like, Oh, it's TJ's fault. That that's kind of, definitely not the point they're at and so I think the good stuff is all right at the surface right now so dealing him is probably the the best return you'll you'll get is is this season if you don't think he'll improve much as a defender or as a passer which he really hasn't throughout the course of his career so I, I don't think I'm opposed to it I just don't see a deal but I guess that's something maybe we can kind of revisit as we hear some of the guards that are on the block elsewhere and if there might be a match yeah, it's going to be really intriguing to follow this team in the next few weeks as we get closer to the trade deadline because the lack of inactivity might speak to something happening later on with James Jones, but at this point, who even knows with the Suns? So before we go into our second segment, though, I want to tell you guys really quickly about our Locked on NBA Net Twitter account. If you're not already doing so, the handle I just said, go and follow that at Locked on NBA Net. If you want to follow coverage outside of Brennan and I in Phoenix, I know you guys like it over here, but there's so much great coverage outside of Phoenix, like the teams in Utah, Dallas, Boston, Indiana, all 30 NBA teams are covered. So if you want to get a more national scope, 
go over and follow at Lockdown NBA Net because we have every single writer, every single podcast host, mostly credential now too, which is awesome. We're all around there giving you the best coverage we can. So go over there and follow at Lockdown NBA Net. Really quick as well, I want to tell you guys about Homey. It's the new, exciting, incredibly cheap way to buy and sell your house here in Phoenix. These guys come with a trusted track record in Salt Lake City and are expanding to help you all out here in Phoenix. The new year brings a lot of changes. If, if you guys are looking to buy or sell a home and, and make that change, these guys are the, are the people to do it and help you along the way. Not only do they have a team of realtors and attorneys and an app and, and interface on their website that's all easy to use and easy to work with, they also make it incredibly cheap. So Homey sells any priced home, any home that you put on the website to sell or buy, it'll be just $199 to list and just $1,299 at close. That means that on average, Homey customers are saving over $10,000. These guys recently sold a million-dollar home in record time and saved the homeowner over sixty grand in commissions. So all the needless hassle and fees that go with buying and selling a house are pretty much gone when you go with Homey. These guys are not trying to make money off of you. They're really just trying to help. Their slogan is, we've got your back. And they really do mean that. They try their best to limit the hassle and the money every step of the way. What we're going to do, thank you, and have a little bit extra off for you is get $100 off that listing fee. So it's going to be just $99 to list your house at Homey if you call this number. It's going to be 602-892-3335. Again, that's just $99 to list your house at Homey by calling 602-892-3335 to let them know that you came from us at Locked On Suns. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. Alrighty, so I'll start us off with the next segment here in our mailbag. Again, thank you guys. We're growing uh, as far as how many answers we're getting pretty much every time. And so it's nice to see that you guys are getting locked in here on Twitter. Anyway, we will go with Jake Brian Walker, at Jake Brian Walker. From a trade standpoint, who are the best PG projects for the Suns going into next season? So it seems like he's kind of asking about younger guys. We've talked about quite a few of them, but how's your kind of preference or read on the situation as far as who's available, who might be able to kind of grow with this core, change it all, and who are the names you have your eye on here? I think as far as trade prospects this year, like around February or July, I think what makes the most sense at this point, even though it's probably not the route I would go, is like a Terry Rozier or D'Angelo Russell in an overpay via trade. I don't think that's going to happen either way because they're both going to compete for the playoffs now, especially in Brooklyn, which is kind of cool to see them get out of their slump. But Boston's competing for a title. I don't think they're going to trade Rozier yet. So you're going to wait till July and then offer him a big offer sheet or do a sign-in trade, maybe involved in one of those wings we mentioned there, Brendan. What do you think about that possibility of those two guys, Russell and Rozier? Because ESPN's Bobby Marks report, I believe, last month that at the G, or the G League showcase, that rival executives expected Phoenix to really pursue heavily those two guys. I, I definitely think that's probably the two – um, you know, and I think, well, there's two pieces of news I want to throw in here that kind of 
I've been trying to track as many different teams that have these guys as possible. And I think two things we haven't talked about on the pod, just because they're not super related, but do play a part in the Suns never ending quest for a point guard is Spencer Dinwiddie over in Brooklyn signed an extension three years, 34 million, if I remember correctly. So he's kind of off the table for all intents and purposes, definitely not at the deadline. Um, And he's been coming off the bench for Brooklyn, but they've really made it work with he and D'Angelo Russell. They can play together. They're both pretty big for the position. Dinwiddie's even, you know, bigger, like six, five, six, six level guy can play off the ball. So I, I don't necessarily know if they feel an urgency to move off of those, you know, they do have Karis Levert out with injury. So Brooklyn is a super interesting team to think about just because I'm not sure that they know what they want to do. And I think there's this season for them is just as much of a feeling out period as it is for the Suns. And I agree it would have to be an overpay this year to get them to kind of move that timeline ahead when they don't necessarily want to. And then as, as far as uh, the other option, aside from Rogier, who I think we kind of all know at this point is one of the biggest targets. Uh, I would just add, um, Jones, Tyus Jones from Minnesota. And the news there is obviously the big one of the week from the NBA, which is Tom Thibodeau got fired. Um, So he's not their president of basketball operations anymore, not making the basketball ops decisions. And so whatever was going on with Tyus Jones, they didn't seem to be interested, super interested in trading him at this point. Maybe that changes. So he would be the only guy I would add to the list. I actually do love Tyus Jones as an option for the Suns of restricted free agency. I think just Price scale wise, Brandon, what do you think like the figures would be for a guy like Tyus Jones? Because I think Russell Rozier is probably 16 to 18 million a year. I feel like Tyus Jones might only be about 10 to 12 million per year, but do you think Minnesota ultimately matches an offer for Tyus Jones? Or what do you think you're getting a sense from from the outside point of view? Yeah, I feel like he they probably should, but you know, this is a team that has been losing quite a bit recently and doesn't seem like a playoff team as currently constructed unless there's big steps from guys like Jones and Andrew Wiggins, especially, but you know, they have Jeff Teague who's going to accept a player option for his contract next year. Um, So, you know, if they fit, let's say it was 12, now you're paying $30 million for your point guard position on a mediocre team. That's, that's tough to swallow. So I could see big changes in Minnesota as they kind of come to that realization. And I wouldn't be surprised if Jones is a, a casualty of that. Yeah, Tyus Jones is someone interesting to watch for this upcoming free agency period for the Suns where they will have max cap space. But for my next question, we're going to go to Tony G at Tony G74509571. He says, what are the two realistic free agent targets the Suns can get? And what is the best player for the Suns to get in the draft besides Zion and RJ? And before I wanted to answer a second question first, because I've been wanting to get your thoughts on this prospect. And the guy is John Morant. He's the Murray State point guard. and He's really rising up draft boards at a Trey Young-like rate from last year. I've seen him on Jeremy Wu's board, SI. He was on the podcast last year. That's number three overall on his board. I've seen multiple places have three and four. I'm not really seeing him fall outside of top five anymore, Brennan. So yeah. the point, there, I, I've seen like many local radio say that there's not really any point guard options in this, in this draft, but I feel like many should start paying attention to the job Morant because if he's playing the way he is, Brennan, he's going to talk his way into a top three pick and the Suns could be – anywhere between three to five realistically with the, the, with the percentage odds. And there could be a possibility where they're on, where they're on draft night and John Brandt's there on the board when they're on the clock. Yeah, for sure. I think that's, that's incredibly realistic looking kind of at how things are landing right now. 
it's it's pretty much a one person a, a one player draft at this point. I don't think that changes. Zion is is so clearly ahead of everyone on his own tier, and then below that, I would imagine most people kind of agree R.J. Barrett is on his own tier. At least that's my opinion. Maybe Morant and some other guys might be kind of pecking at that right now too. But Morant's probably you know on that third tier with a cluster of other guys, I could easily see him going third, fourth, fifth, right around there. And that's when this, where the Suns pig, figure to be picking. So uh, it might land where, you know, some of this point guard talk we're having right now might kind of be moot if the the player development and, and scout team and, and front office in Phoenix look at that draft and really like John Morant. You know, we don't know, but I think we can probably skip the free agency question because I think this is the more interesting part. I have not looked at the free agency class enough to know. I mean, I know the names we kind of talked about last summer, like, oh, if the Suns don't get such and such, this guy will be available for them. But uh, I think the draft is far more of a realistic way to get talent still for this team, despite the best hopes of fans and maybe the front office itself. So I like Morant. I actually, you know, I'm really frustrated that Darius Garland at Vanderbilt got hurt because he was people go watch his highlights. He's exciting. He's a really thrilling player, really smooth scorer was shooting like 50% from three. So I don't think you, he's out for the year with an injury a meniscus injury. I don't think you pull the trigger as high as, you know, three to five range on a guy who's been out for so long, but he's definitely somebody who if the Suns maybe put together a hot streak at the end of the year or um, who knows what happens he's just one other name I would throw in there because there's not as much point guard depth as we thought with guys like Quentin Grimes and Romeo um, Langford, not looking incredible, but I think those two guys for sure are my two top point guards right now. As far as rush construction goes, I'm going to stay on this draft topic for one more question here. I wanted to throw back your way this with the sun's roster. It's just interesting what they might do this summer and the draft's going to be before free agency. So what are they doing the draft, whether it's trade the pick or it's keep it and take someone that will really tell us what they're going to do a week or two later in free agency. But do you, let's say they do land outside number one, number two, because I agree with you that Zion is tier one by himself. RJ is tier two by himself. Then tier three is where everyone else is like art, like John Morant, Cam Reddish, Nasir Little. Let's say just for hypothetical reasons, they do land number three overall, which I'd be personally disappointed by, but let's say they do get number three and they miss out on Zion and RJ. Who do you take if you're James Jones or do you trade the pick and try to find someone that would get that? Cause you have either a, a rookie point guard there. I don't know how patient the Suns are going to be with a rookie point guard, or do you take a, a wing who'd be a, a bench guy? I imagine next year and this year little or cam reddish, what roster construction route would you go if you're James Jones? I think at this point, you know, if you go, if, if it's June, whatever, 20, 21st or whenever the draft is in the sun still don't have a point guard at that point. And there's not necessarily an obvious target that you feel great about getting because so many of these players we're talking about are restricted free agents and you can't bet on that. It would be a heartbreaking situation, agonizing, almost, you know, you can't even do it type of situation if the Suns were to offer an offer sheet to a guy and lose out and, and still not have an answer at that position. So, you know, I think Morant would definitely get a long look. I think Reddish probably is the best prospect. I would probably have him higher. I might even have a little higher as well right now, just because of their, you know, 
physical profiles, two-way ability, fit in the modern league. You know, having a creator like Morant is definitely a massive, massive thing, especially for the Suns. So I, I, I could definitely see them going that route, but I might have little and reddish higher just from a talent perspective right now. Interesting points there. Let me toss it back to you for our next mailbag question. Well, before we do that, I want to tell you guys about the Locked On NBA show. We'll go to our final two questions here, maybe get a quick one or two on a, on a quick fire, but the Locked On NBA show continues to bust out great work every day. Really your home. It should be your home for NBA news and analysis between Sam Amick of The Athletic, Ben Golliver of The Washington Post, even Trevor Booker, former NBA player, hops on the show every few weeks to give his side of things from the player's perspective. So, you know, it's really just the best resource to get a quick bite-sized little snippet of what's going on in the league and what to watch for going forward. It's just an, a great analytical, forward-thinking, nice little show. So go give them a subscribe. Give them the same love you give us. And check out everything Locked On NBA Sun. NBA is doing. No matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax experts make them count. Did you say no to a big wedding and elope at the county courthouse? That's a move. Did you go back to school to get your degree? That's a move. Did you relocate for a fresh start? Well, that's literally a move. Maybe you moved into a houseboat instead of a house house, or switched gears from rideshare driving to video game streaming, or you rode the stock market to the moon and back. TurboTax experts make all your moves count, getting you every credit and deduction you deserve. They'll file with 100% accuracy and get you your max refund guaranteed. So, switch to TurboTax. Make your moves. They'll make them count. See guarantee details at TurboTax.com guarantees. Experts only available with TurboTax Live. All right. I will go. This one's a little more uh, present. So... It's what, where have you seen Melton and Akobo progress since the start of the season? Uh, and that's from B Welks at B Welks underscore is where haven't they developed and kind of their, their grades up and down kind of as we've compared to what we thought as the season has gone along. So where are you? We'll start with Melton. Where are you with him? I know you like him. <laughs> I know you like him, but compared to what you expected coming forward, has he been better, worse, the same? I feel like he's kind of been just as advertised, uh, a subpar shooter who's kind of surprising me. The more I see him shoot the ball, that he has a a stroke that's com- compact and it's actually going to be a thing that can help him long term. But right now he's struggling from shooting the ball. He's not really that good of a playmaker. But the things we saw at USC that we really raved about with guys like Colswicker and Jackson Hoy of the step in before the draft was his defensive instincts, and those have immediately transferred over. He's leading the he's leading the team in deflections. But I think it's a, he's widening his margin at this point. And it's kind of crazy to say because he plays the least amount of minutes between the, the top guys up there on the list, like Josh Jackson and Mikhail Bridges. But it just seems like Melton is a, a glue guy you should have. If he's not the starting point guard long-term, I'm not going to say he is. It's been 30 games, and he's struggling on offense. But defensively, if he can ever get an offense going for himself, I, I, I'm i going to stick by my claim. He like, has Patrick Beverly-like upside. I think he's, so far, if I had to give a grade, I'd probably be a B just because it's kind of what I expected so far. Yeah, I like the I like Marcus Smart as a comp a little more, but I understand um, it's the same type of player. I think, you know, it's it's going to hinge on his offense and his ability to to lock down 
on you know on ball defense. That's what set, sets Smart apart right now. Uh, despite being somebody who probably will never turn a shot around, just not having um, the on ball defense that Smart can defend power can defend one through four, like legitimately can defend one through four. And he has since kind of the minute he entered the league had that strength and quickness and just an intelligence, the ability to read the game and, and lock down. He defended Paul Millsap in a playoff series. He he switches pretty much everything for the Celtics when they're doing that. So I think he's probably the, the ultimate ceiling defensively for Melton. But the offense, I think, has, for me, come along a little better than I was expecting. I mean, the shot's very inconsistent. He's not somebody defenses respect. He's not a you know, somebody you're afraid of, but I mean, he's, he's making 34%. He's attempting two and a half per game, four and a half per 36 minutes. So I think that's come along a, a little better than I would have thought. And he's shooting 86% on free throws. So I, I think the shots there, it's just kind of the other stuff, you know, making good decisions and, you know, kind of having a plan, I think is a problem for him. The, the Clippers, especially, they were letting him get downhill on the pick and roll in the game a few nights ago. And he just kind of didn't know what to do with it. But um, what about Okobo? How do you kind of feel about him? We haven't seen as much of him, but is he sort of as advertised as well? Or how do you, how do you feel? I feel like, yeah, kind of as advertised as well. I mean, these both these guys are second-round rookie point guards, so you really shouldn't expect high expectations in their rookie season. That's development picks. And you, you should really look for your gains a year or two down the line. But overall with Okobo, I, I like his playmaking. He's flashed to here and there, but... I think he's really starting to get confused a little bit as far as picking his spots on the floor. He wants to score, but he tries to pass. He forces a turnover. I know there was a sequence in the game. I, I forget what game it was, but where Booker was like, what was like, what are you doing when he was trying to get the inbounds there? They were confused with each other. It just seemed like he's kind of overthinking things at the moment, and it's not surprising as a rookie. But I'd say if I had to give a grade for him as well, like a B minus, just because the potential is there. He's on a four-year contract. Give him two or three years, and he could be a guy who could be a a really valuable guy on this team. Yeah, I would probably have him a little lower, probably a a straight C. I think Uh, defensively, I mean, like that's the thing we we knew, especially Okobo, considering his his youth. He's younger than Melton, and he played in a far lower level of competition than Pac-12 in the French league. But I think. All things considered, he, he's definitely shown some flashes. I mean, that first Clippers game, that was like a genuinely good game. Like that, if he played at that level, he'd be the starter on this team, and we wouldn't even be talking about having a, a point guard problem in Phoenix if if Kobo played like he did against the Clippers every night. That was not even like for a rookie good. He scored the ball incredibly efficiently, made spot up or off the bounce threes. He was defending at a high level, but. That's really been the only full game that he's done that. And I think most nights it's been really, really up and down. And uh, especially like weird, weird little mistakes, like transition defense, he'll just foul. He just fouls if if he gets kind of out of position, even if the defense is kind of set behind him. He just fouls the ball handler and uh, picks up his dribble a lot. That's something Dave King of Bright Side of the Sun gets on him about. And not, not on him, but gets frustrated with. Uh, just weird little mistakes kind of reading the flow of the game that you hope, I mean, you probably assume will get fixed because like I said, he was playing against really low level competition and kind of could do whatever he wanted on offense last year. But it is just kind of concerning that he has so many mental gaffes like that. Yeah, it is. And hopefully he gets it fixed. I mean, he's a 20 year old and 
I think Igor, he's the kind of the point guard whisperer. He helped Raul Neto, Dante Exum out in Utah. I think just give him a little more time, and he's going to be a guy who could be a valuable bench player for the Suns. But let's do some rapid fire here, Brendan, for our final few questions. And I'll start off here with uh, Work Harder at Warlord1914. He, he asked a question about exploring DeAndre at the four. I'm not going to really go that route. I'm going to kind of flip it because I think we're both in agreement, really 100% that he's a five long term. He's never yes. going to play anything about the five. But what do you think about exploring a, a defensive minded big, like a a jumbo sized four, like a like a bull bull in the draft, or a guy like a, a Thaddeus Young and free agency, you just back at the Brinks truck, truck four? What do you think they need, like a defensive minded guy like that, or even like a, a guy like a bull bull? in the draft if he's there for them. Do you think that makes sense at all with Aiden's deficiencies on defense? I definitely think you you want some defense at the four long-term, and I think that's why Warren has come under so much scrutiny recently, just not being able to cover up for some of those mistakes the way other guys might be able to. I mean, Bull Bull's a five also. The guy's seven three, but I, I he has the stretch and everything. I, just, I, I definitely don't think that should come from the draft. I think you want somebody – who isn't young, who doesn't make the same mistake, somebody who's actually going to be able to help Aiton. And so I would avoid doing that no matter what type of player it is, trying to fill that hole, unless it's Zion in the draft. doesn't make much sense to me, but there's a lot of guys, you know, speaking of free agency. Um, yeah, Thad Young. I think Taj Gibson has one more year, but that type of player, we've seen the impact. I mean, it probably limits the ceiling of your team to have a non-stretchy four that, doesn't necessarily have a lot of defensive versatility, but you know, Indiana is making it work. Minnesota made the playoffs last year with young bigs. It's definitely something that can help. And I think there's a lot of guys in that kind of in-between area in the league that really could help and probably don't cost too much. Yeah. That's kind of an interesting idea. And I think it's something that James Jones might explore this offseason because when you see Aiden's just issues on defense, it's going to be a, a multiple year project with him as far as that aspect of his game. So I wouldn't be surprised they, attack defense next to Aiden this summer, but I'll toss you another quick uh, rapid fire question here, Brendan. And it's um, looking through it here. It looks like we hit almost all of them. So I got one. I got one. Okay, great. Yeah, okay, it's, it's from Harrison at the really real H we won't do the whole standings, but I'll give you this. What do the Pacific, who's the Pacific division leader in five years? I don't know why he's honing in on the Pacific division, but um, what what are what are the division standings look like? And then if you want to just give who wins the West in five years, just looking kind of LeBron will be gone probably. Steph and KD will be older if KD's even in the West anymore. But I think he's kind of wondering if it's the Suns, and I don't know if it's going to be the Suns. But who's your pick there? Oh my goodness, five years is like fifty years. In, I know. In, it is. Damian Lillard be on his third team in the next five years. I have no idea. He might be on the Suns for all we know at that point, but um. Let me think here, man. That's just factoring in so many things here. Pacific Division standings, I agree the Warriors going to be disbanded by then. So I think they're going to be at near the bottom of the standings. I don't think they're going to have a quick refill. I feel like Clippers is the safe pick for the for the division. If you think them, they might get Kawhi or KD or something this summer, and if not, they'll go back at it next summer. They're probably the most likely team to have a big star at that point. You know what? I'm going to roll the dice and say the Lakers. I'm going to say they get Anthony Davis and that as another star is going to join LeBron. He's just going to fade the distance and LeBron be the third guy and eventually retire. But I'll say Lakers first, Clippers second. Ooh, this is tough. I think Suns third, Kings fourth, but Suns and Kings are going to be really close for me because De'Aaron Fox, his star upside in five years could be really big in my opinion. 
he can really help that team out. But Suns third, Kings fourth, and the Warriors fifth, because I have no no clue how to gauge Golden State right now. Yeah, I definitely I'll go Clippers top because I think I really do think it seems like they'll get Kawhi. I, I don't know I don't know why I feel so strongly about that, but that seems to kind of be the rumbling. They're chasing him pretty hard. He doesn't seem like he's super interested in playing LeBron, uh, playing with LeBron, but AD on, on the Lakers and just betting on the Lakers in general is pretty good. But um, do we have any more here or are we wrapping up? Yeah, we. I'm just going to do really uh, one or two quick more. We can just answer these in a few words because they're pretty simple yes or no ones I could turn them into. And one from Al Hall and it's at Skittles O'Brien. He says, do you see a scenario in which Kimball Walker becomes available for the Suns? Let me just ask you and flip it and twist it into this sentence for you. Do you see any scenario in which Kemba leaves Charlotte? And if so, do you think he considers the Suns at all? Um, yes, I could see a scenario in which he leaves Charlotte if they don't make the playoffs, if they don't want to offer him the full Supermax or the designated veteran extension or whatever it's called. Um, no, I don't think he would consider the Suns outright in free agency but potentially they could trade for him. Sign and trade, or maybe in February, if things go completely awry between now and then. All right. I, I agree with you, but I'm going to actually say I think he ultimately does re-sign Charlotte for the max. I think he seems like a really loyal guy, and he wants to build there. So do you, Kemba, get all the money you want to and try to build something in Charlotte? I think that's ultimately what happened. But one more quick one as far as a player that could be eventually available, and that's Kevin Love. I know neither of us really are fans of Kevin Love and his long-term figure, but – what do you think about the uh, possibility of trading for a guy like Kevin Love? Dan here at Par 486 suggests possibly moving Anderson and one of Warner Jackson for Kevin Love and, and a guy like Jordan Clarkson, who would be, oh, that would not be fun to have a, a Jordan Clarkson here. But what do you think about Kevin Love as a Phoenix to DeAndre and if that were to come by either in February or in July? Yeah, it's tough to construct a deal because Anderson and Warren is too much. The cap, the Cavs are quietly capped out because of all their contracts they sign with LeBron around. So it's it's tough to make something work. Maybe Anderson and Jackson does it, and that's you know I, I wouldn't necessarily hate that. It's just the length on Lowe's deal. If he was a couple couple years, a stopgap guy that would kind of support the offense with Aiton maybe make some sense of what Anderson, a better version of what Anderson could have been this year. But, you know, I, once you start giving up like a pick and some of the young guys, I just don't think it's worth it because he's not the long-term answer here. I, I'm totally there with you. I think getting Kevin Love, who, by the way, called James Jones, the GM of the Suns, his favorite teammate ever. So I think he'd be on board coming to the Suns if ever came to be. But I'm not a fan of Kevin Love in, in his fit here. He's mid-30s. He's broken down. You're wasting a big, a, a lot of money, in my opinion, and it'd be an albatross contract, I think, in two or three years from now. And the Suns have a really hard time keeping flexibility. But I think that's going to be all for us today, folks. That we're running close on time. So I appreciate you guys listening in. And uh, we'll be back to you guys tomorrow, live from Talk Series Arena, as always, to recap the Suns Kings game, which is a bright Sunday, 2019. So that'll be a fun one. Appreciate you guys listening in. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this locked on podcast ad free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.